Let me pray as we come to look at God's word together. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're the God who speaks and you speak to us because Jesus is alive and his spirit comes to us and brings your word alive to us. We pray that would happen now. You'd give us understanding. You'd give us hearts that learn of your great love for us. You give us wills that long to obey for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, a friend of mine tells the story of his mate, Paul. Paul uh, was next to next-door neighbor to a family. They had some pets, the family. And you know how it is with your family. Sometimes you get your next-door neighbor to look after your pets when you go on holiday. And they had goldfish and hamsters and, and a bunny rabbit. Anyway, Paul went around the first day to feed the animals. And he took his dog along with him because you know, he's going for a little bit of a walk with the dog. And he did the, the inside animals, the, the goldfish, the, the hamsters. And he was just walking out in the garden to go to the rabbit hutch when he saw the dog trotting up the garden with the rabbit in its mouth. The rabbit looking very much like it was never going to need to be fed again. And Paul thought, what do I do? I, 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 I can either confess or I can cover up. And being the wise bloke, he, he went for cover up. And so fortunately... It was a jet black rabbit, no distinguishing marks, so he trawled around the local pet shops until he found a jet black rabbit, no distinguishing marks, popped it in the hutch, continued to feed them during the holidays, and then waited for the family to come back. The day after the family came back, bring, 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 the phone call Paul has been dreading. Oh, uh, hi, how did your holiday go? <laughs> hope, all, hope all the animals are okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're fine, said the neighbour. Oh, we just wanted to ask you about the rabbit. Paul, wishing he'd chosen more carefully, <laughs> feeling that the plot is beginning to unravel. We were just a bit surprised when we found him in the hutch. Paul, thinking, surely it was just jet black. It's, um, it's just that it died the night before we left for holiday. <laughs> and the children insisted we bury it at the bottom of the garden. And now we're trying to explain to them why Sooty appears to be alive and well and back in his hutch. <laughs> Resurrection life is not an everyday event, is it? That's what we find in Luke 24. The disciples are confounded, they're mystified, they just don't know what's going on throughout the chapter. I hope the chapter spoke to you about the genuineness of the biblical account. There's no tidying up here, is there? We've got women perplexed, wondering what's going on. We've got a, a downcast couple of people walking along a road, not a clue what's going on. We've got disciples with Jesus standing in front of them, still amazed, wondering, doubting. They, they just don't quite get it. Resurrection life is not an everyday event. And I guess you might be here this morning, and, and you might be someone who doesn't share in this belief in the resurrection. I think there are two common mistakes people make about the resurrection of Jesus. The first is that it didn't happen, that there's no evidence. And the second is that it doesn't matter, there's no relevance. But, but actually, we're only here this morning because Jesus rose from the dead. If the Gospel of Luke had ended with the crucifixion, there'd be no church, no Christians, no Gospel. Because deeply moving as those events of Good Friday are, the, the effect of them is to leave the disciples confused, afraid, in hiding, certain that what they just witnessed at the cross was the end of the story, not the beginning of the story. But, but after these events we're going to look at in verse 24, it was totally different. 
They had a new hope for the future. The whole purpose of their lives had changed forever. They knew that nothing was more important and more real and more relevant for every person on the planet. Because there is eyewitness evidence. Luke actually is writing his whole gospel with the aim of giving eyewitness evidence. It was interesting that Alex said that it was at Kingston Grammar CU when he first began as a little bit more of an adult to think through the eyewitness evidence of Jesus. And it was a talk on the evidence of the resurrection that convinced him that Jesus was Lord. But we have evidence. And it is incredibly relevant. Uh, the thing is, to understand the relevance of the resurrection of Jesus, you, you need to understand what the Bible has to say about it. You see, what we're going to see in Luke 24 is eyewitness evidence explained by God's word. I'm going to see it in three episodes. Here's, here's the first little scenario we saw. It's the wandering women. If you've got your Bible open, have a look at down at verse 1 with me. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And these women actually are recorded as watching Jesus die on Good Friday. That, that evening, they'd seen his stone-cold body laid in a tomb, and a massive boulder rolled in front so that no one could gain entrance. They've now come through the Jewish day of rest, the Sabbath, when they couldn't anoint the body, and they've, they've returned with spices. You can imagine how they're feeling. Their dreams have been shattered. That the man who they followed for three years is gone. But when they arrive, that huge boulder has been thrown away and the tomb is empty. They don't, they don't have a clue what's going on. And, and it's a confusion that, that fills their hearts and minds until look what happens. Verse 4, while they were wondering, literally while they were perplexed about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? These are heavenly messengers. These, these angels have a very simple answer to the women's problem. It's almost like they're rebuking them, isn't it? Telling them off. It's obvious. <laughs> why, why are you looking for him here amongst the dead? He's alive. Didn't you listen to him, they say? Have a look down at verse 6 and 7. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Now, the Son of Man is someone in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible in the book of Daniel, who's described as the person who's the authority to rule over the whole of God's creation. He is literally the Son of Man, the King of the universe. And of course, Jesus, during his lifetime, demonstrated that exactly is who he was. Diseases disappeared at his touch. Evil spirits that, that had sort of consumed people's humanity since decades had passed were terrified in his presence. Wind and waves obeyed his command. He spoke, and dead people came back to life. Jesus' life had declared, here is the Son of Man, with all authority over heaven and earth. But what these women hadn't thought is that he'd go and get himself crucified. He let himself be arrested, mocked, 
spat upon, lied about, beaten, and humiliatingly nailed to the most brutal form of execution that human beings have ever devised. And yet these angels say, don't you know? That was God's plan. That, that was what must happen. I mean, do, do you see the enormity of that? The Jesus of the Bible is never a helpless victim, is he? Do you think Jesus had to die? No, he chose to die. And the resurrection declares that, that the one these women saw die that humiliating and brutal death on the cross was the glorious, all-powerful Son of Man because he has risen just as he said he would. And what happens in verse 8? Then they remembered his words. The evidence of eyewitnesses explained by God's word. And not that the other disciples can believe them. They, they think it's nonsense we read next. Uh, the apostle Peter, he goes to look, but, but at best he's still left himself wondering, confused about what's happened. And it appears to be the same for these two disciples who are walking the lonely road to Emmaus, a town about seven miles outside Jerusalem. Because they're the next people we see. I've called them the downcast duo. The wandering women, here's the downcast duo. They're talking as they walk along about these strange reports they've heard. Let me read to you verse 15 again. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus has an important lesson to teach Cleopas and his unnamed chum. So it appears he doesn't reveal to them who he is. They're literally kept by God from recognizing the one they knew in life. And so he asked them, verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. See, if you don't understand why Jesus had to die and then rise again, then actually you'll never know the true joy, the true happiness of Easter, of being a Christian. You'll never know that odd paradox Ollie talked about of, I feel worse about myself over the last six months. I've been more convicted of my sin. And that has meant that I feel so much more loved by God. And Jesus is so much more precious to me. So if you don't understand why, and these, these men don't understand why, so they're downcast. They've got the evidence. Jesus draws it out of them in, in 19 to 24 of Luke 24, Cleopas reels off a brilliant description of all the evidence. He's got all the facts. He's seen Jesus' life. He's seen his powerful deeds, the amazing miracles. that They'd seen his death on the cross. They, they knew why he'd come. Cleopas says, oh, he's come to redeem Israel. In other words, he's come to bring God's people back into relationship with him. They, they've even now heard the reports of the empty tomb, the angels, that those reports have been backed up by others. But without the explanation of God's word, at best, all that news is just confusing. At worst, it's distressing. I've got a picture for you. Here, here's a picture. Now, if you look at this picture, you might think, oh, what's happened to that baby? What, what accident has befallen them? It, it's a tragic scene. I expect some of you might know who this is. This is... Elias William, William Sims. And he, he was feeling a bit groggy after Claire's uh, general anaesthetic when the caesarean happened. So they wired him up for a bit to check how he is. You see, what looks like a picture of distress 
is actually a picture of beautiful new life. What looks like a potential disaster is actually a scene of wonderful hope. You better lose the picture, otherwise they'll not listen to a word I say and they'll start going ooh and ah. And that's what's happening with Cleopas and his chum. They need to understand what they've seen. <laughs> Look what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus is never politically correct. He said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And being the son of God, he can't say, Duh. that's effectively what he says. That's the tone. It's the sort of tone, if you're, if you're a child or a young person here, you use with your parents when they say to you, I can't work my new mobile. Oh, my goodness me. Let me help you. And what was it that the prophet said? Well, look at verse 26. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The Messiah was God's promised king. But the whole Old Testament had been pointing forward to him. The Jews were waiting with anticipation, painful anticipation, for him to come. Because they knew that when the Messiah came, he wouldn't just bring them back to God. He'd bring God's rule over the whole world. In the prophet Isaiah, we, we can read about this Messiah coming. This is written 600 years before Jesus arrived. And we read this, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. The Messiah is the Lord God himself on earth. But if you read on in the prophet Isaiah, you'll find that there's another character, another one who appears to be the Messiah, who's very different. The one who comes to suffer in his people's place. So just a few chapters later in Isaiah 53, 5, we read, but he was crushed for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And Isaiah goes on to say, and he'll rise to new life. Isaiah 53, verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So Jesus says to Cleopas and his mate, it's all there. It's all there in the Old Testament, lads. The turning point of history has happened. The, the king has come. The Messiah is here. The one who was foretold, who had to suffer, die and then rise again to glory. He is the one who is bringing in God's wonderful new people. You see, you're not wrong about Jesus. He is the Lord on earth. He is the one who flung the stars into space, the one who God used to bring creation into being. But what they haven't grasped is that he is the one who in love would lay down his life for them. They want to hear more of it, don't they? So as they get to where they're stopping, Jesus makes out as though he's walking on further and they say, no, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And as they sit down to the meal, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And in that moment, maybe reminded of exactly what he did the night before he died, they see and their eyes are opened and they realize who is with them. And then he's gone. But it's not the fact that they've seen Jesus that actually amazes them the most. That's not what lingers with them. Do you see in verse 32 what lingers with them? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and open the scriptures to us. That's what happens. 
as the Lord opens up the Bible to you. It ceases just to be a book. It becomes the word of God as you hear him speak to your heart of his great love for you and the Lord Jesus. The evidence of eyewitnesses explained by the word of God. Now do you see how gracious God is here with his confused first followers? Do you see how angels are sent? How Jesus himself walks along beside them explaining what has happened? But, but, but it doesn't stop there. This, this determination by God that we should know him, that, that we should understand the enormity of the first Easter. Because look what happens lastly with the doubting disciples. They're the third group. You see, Cleopas and his mate, they sprint back seven miles to Jerusalem, only to hear that Jesus himself has appeared to Simon Peter. And they're just getting into the flow of, of telling them about what happened on the road and, and how they recognized Jesus at the meal. When Look what happens in, in verse 37. Jesus appears. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. I guess anyone would. If you've seen someone dead... You're rather gobsmacked when they turn up alive in front of you. So again, in his kindness, Jesus points them to the evidence. He says to them, why are you troubled? And why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Hands and feet where the nails were driven in. It's the same body, says Jesus. It's the same me, the one who died in agony on a Roman cross. Look at the scars of sacrifice. Touch me. They still can't quite believe it. And so what does he say? Just give me some fish. Got anything to eat? And he eats. You know that, don't you? You know dead men don't eat fish? Eyewitness evidence explained by the word of God. And what's extraordinary is that Almost all these people who were there in that room, who Jesus appeared to, that they later would die for their refusal to deny that these events happened. When Christians were persecuted, these men and women were put to death because they would not deny the evidence they had seen. But it's eyewitness evidence that needs explaining by the word of God. And so that's what Jesus does. Verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now that would be a claim of incredible arrogance. Basically, Jesus says, the Bible, it's about me. Unless, of course, you are the Son of Man, the Messiah, the the one risen to rule over all people. But, But it's not his rule that Jesus firstly talks about. Do you see what he talks to them about in verse 46? This is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance of the forgiveness of sins we preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Oh yeah, Jesus is the ruling risen king of all. But he has laid down his life for his people. He is God's glorious saviour And therefore, we can know the forgiveness of sins. Now, you might be here this morning, you might not feel you're a sinner. But the Bible says that you and I, you and I, have deeply wronged God, whether we feel it or not. 
That, that word sins in our culture tends to be associated with sort of naughty things we do or things that are quite nice, but actually God doesn't want us to do. But in the Bible, sin is something very simple. It is our settled rejection of our loving God who has given us all we have. Oh, we do that in a whole variety of ways. We ignore what he says. We use and abuse the gifts he's given us. And we see that in our lives because, because we don't love God and we have a broken relationship with him. We make a mess of the relationships around us. We can't even be relatively pleasant to the people we love the most for a couple of days in a row. The Bible says we all have this sin problem. And yet, because Jesus has died and risen, we can be forgiven. Forgiven our failure to love God and other people. Forgiven everything we've ever done. It's a forgiveness that is utterly free to us, but very costly to God. That's what Mira found, wasn't it? That God's love is such that forgiveness is free to us, but very costly to God. See, Jesus' death and resurrection, they're not just real events, they're relevant for all of us. Because all of us need his forgiveness. Whatever your background, whatever your past, whatever your wrongdoing, whatever your guilt and shame whether you are trying desperately to get right with God and failing, or whether you just don't even think about it most of the time. All of us need his forgiveness. And the message of the resurrection is it is available for you today. You have to do one simple thing. Verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You have to turn to Jesus, to turn to him And to recognize that he is God's glorious risen king who died for you. And in turning to Jesus, what you're doing is saying, Jesus, everything you're for, I'm for. And everything you're against, I'm against. I'm with you now. You define who I am. You are my king, my savior, my first love. It's easy, actually, to go through the Christian life, maybe being raised in a Christian home like Ollie was, and not to turn to Jesus. Oh, to be able to repeat, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but him not to be the one who you've turned to. Actually, not to be living as though everything you're for, Jesus, I'm for, and everything you're against, Jesus, I'm against. So let me ask you a simple question this Easter Sunday. If you've not yet turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, will you turn to him today? It's a forgiveness that is free to you and very costly to God. It's a forgiveness symbolized by baptism. Because when you turn to him, you receive a completely fresh start with God. Your old self dies as Jesus died at the cross. Nailed to the cross in him, dealt with finished and you have a new self as Jesus rises from the dead you're given his status with God righteous precious son child you have his eternal life you have his inheritance in heaven you have his constant knowledge of his father's love all yours because he died and rose again eyewitness evidence explained by the word of God Will you turn to him today? It's a very simple thing to do. Afterwards, I'd love to explain to you 
how you can turn to Jesus. Why not, why not come and chat to me about it or, or chat to a friend of yours who's a Christian? It just involves talking to him. That's the way you start a relationship with anyone. Talking to him and accepting what he's done for you. But, but it might be you've got questions to ask. Maybe you've come to support Ollie and Alex and Mira, and this is all very new to you. Well, if you've got questions to ask, we'd love you to come along maybe to one of these uh, evening events we're putting on the next couple of Thursdays, looking at dead or alive, Jesus. Is there eyewitness evidence? And is it relevant for you? Why not come and ask those questions as an adult? Or the following week, Bible, fact or fiction? Can you trust this book as God's word? We'd love you to think about those or or think about coming on one of our evening courses like Life Explored where we just try to explain why Jesus is relevant to all people. And for the majority of us here who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who follow him, did you see the enormity of the events of the first Easter Sunday? Do you feel the enormity of the events of the first Easter Sunday? That actually, as Jesus rises from the dead, a whole new chapter of history is declared that you are part of. A chapter of history that will go on all the way through his return to judging glory into an eternity that lasts forever. Because that's what eternity does. In, you are now someone living in the age of the Son of Man, the Messiah, the one who suffered and died for you. He is the one at the center of creation. He is the purpose of today, and he is God's plan for tomorrow. He is what God is doing. Jesus Christ is as central to life as breathing. And so often as Christians, we can lose sight of Jesus. And if one thing Easter Sunday should do is it should stick him front and central back in the middle of our lives. And if your heart doesn't burn... As I talk about Jesus, as we look at Jesus, as it did for Cleopas and his friend. Or maybe that's because we don't see as much of you here as we used to. And you don't open up the Bible in a group as much as you used to. And you can't remember the time you last read it for yourself in the morning. And therefore, you're not hearing the wonderful word of God that explains what Jesus has done for you. Because you see, Jesus is the news. He is what God is doing. Brexit's not the news. Syria's not the news. North Korea's not the news. Trump is not the news. Jesus is the news. Presidents, they've come and gone since Luke 24. Dictators, they've come and gone. Wars, they've come and gone. But the risen Lord Jesus is still alive and he's still being declared today. And he's poured out his spirit on all of his people for one simple purpose. That we might say to the world, Jesus is alive. He died for you. There is forgiveness of sins in his name. Whoever you are, will you come to him? Jesus lives. It's real. There's eyewitness evidence. It's relevant. Explained by the word of God. Rejoice in your risen King. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you planned with your Son before the beginning of time that he would come 
and be born as a man to live the perfect life that he might offer it up in our place upon a cross and then be raised from the dead and declared by you, Son of God, the glorious Son of Man, the ruling Messiah. And as a result, we might have forgiveness of sins in his name. Oh, that you would think of us before you made anything and send him. Please help us to marvel, to rejoice, to wonder at the newness of life you've given us in the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus, we praise and thank you that you're here with us now and you will always be with us. And we praise and thank you in your precious name. Amen.